It is only fitting that I share a word with you this afternoon. Brand new at last. Brand new. Wow, okay. People are excited to be brand new. So let's pray. Let's just, uh, just ask the Lord to bless uh, this time of sharing. And let's ask him to do some supernatural stuff in our midst. Lord Jesus, Lord, we honor you and we bless you, God. Lord, I, I have nothing to say, Lord. I know you have something to say always. Have something to say, Lord, to your people, Lord, to the lost, to the broken, Lord, those that feel dead inside, Lord, you always have something to say, something good to say, Lord God. Lord, so I pray, Lord, in the mighty name of Jesus, the Lamb of God slain on the cross for us, Lord, to save and deliver, to raise up and establish us with newness of life. Lord, speak. Lord, you deliver your word, Lord God, and bring us, Lord God, into the fullness of the life that you paid for, Lord, in the mighty name of Jesus. Jesus, we pray, amen and amen. Praise God. All right, so the message is brand new at last. How many of you guys here like new things? All right, I, uh, I'm not surprised. And I think given the choice, we all like new things. I have a wife and kids, so in our family, I'm the last in line. I never get new things. Uh, really, it's just the kids. They get the new things. And, uh, but God has been faithful. He'll, he'll take care of daddy. On time. And uh, he'll take care of me. I'm, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. God will be good to me. So, uh, but I wanted to read this, this really quite a shocking uh, little news article uh, from CNN years ago. I'm not affiliating with any news uh, uh, channel. So it's just something that I ran into. Uh, since 2010, the number of YouTube clips with unboxing... Uh, uh, in the headlines has increased 871%. Last year alone, 2,370 uh, 2, days or 6.5 years worth of unboxing footage was uploaded to the site. The traffic is coming from all over the world with um, uptick and in recent interest from such far-flung places as India, Brunei, Sri Lanka, Trinidad, and Tobago. 871% growth since 2010. This article was written in 2014. I wouldn't even want to know what that percentage is since 2014. We like to look at other folks open up brand new things. Now, maybe that's not something that you do, but as a society, we are absolutely, I would say, we've become obsessed with new things. And there's something to it, I think. There's, there's a lot to it. Uh, we, uh, we, we have become quite a materialistic society. I've looked up the definition of materialism, a materialistic person, a materialistic individual. It's somebody who has become obsessed with things and has lost the balance, the healthy, healthy balance uh, of, of living in a society where they appreciate and value individuals, the world around them, even their own health, mental health, their own uh, state of well-being, as opposed to loving new things. There's also uh, escapism. I see in this kind of particular obsession with new things, new ideas, constantly changing your reality. It's, a, it's a, an escapism. Uh, it's, it's almost uh, uh, starts as a dissatisfaction, um, a desire to get away from a reality. Just reality, truth. Your existence, our existence, we have uh, a certain situations, certain things that we are handed to from the get-go. There's mistakes that we make. And this society, for uh, some reason, the world that we live in, the pace at which technology has been changing, we have uh, just gotten to a trend of just wanting to escape 
And also, uh, um, you know, I, I'm a young adult leader. Uh, we are 18 to 35 in our group. It's a, it's a, it's a big group. I know some of you think uh, 35 is a young adult. Yes. In New York City, 35 is a young adult. This is my last year. I just turned 35. And uh, so I'm going to make it count. The year of wonders. And uh, I'm, I'm believing God for great things in my life uh, from, uh, from this year on. But young adults, millennials in particular, I'm going to read to you another article here in a moment. But young adults, uh, Gen Zers that are coming right behind them. And, uh, these, uh, this particular group are incredibly creative. Incredibly creative. There are some really, um, well, there's some names that uh, uh, the millennials have been called that are not very friendly on the news and in society. Um, But it is an incredibly creative, incredibly talented group. And Pastor Carter uh, has asked me to address uh, the church, but in particular young adults. And so I I intend to speak to everybody, but I also want to speak to uh, the young adults in this group today. And I want to speak to you about brand new at last. Let me read to you this Uh, One more article. This is from Forbes magazine. Again, I don't subscribe to these, but as I was just uh, pursuing and researching the things that God was putting on my heart, this is something that came up. Millennials, the most unhealthy generation at work. Forbes.com, December 30th, 2019. Millennials born 1980 to 2000 are the largest and most educated generation, but they're also the most unhealthy Despite the fact that millennials are all, around, uh, all about their yoga boutique trends, green juices, and meditation memberships, they are in the worst health than uh, their older counterparts, Generation Xers. The wellness trend isn't translating into actual uh, being healthy, according to research. A study conducted, uh, conducted by Blue Cross Blue Shield estimates that without intervention, millennials could see mortality rates increase by 40% more than Gen Zers of the same age. And it goes on basically to say that there is some really uh, very uh, uh, destructive, uh, scary trends among young people, in particular with anxiety, depression. And so we have this group, the biggest, millennials and Gen uh, Zers, Gen Xers, Gen Zers, sorry. Gen Zers, the one, uh, the group that is following behind them, they comprise 50%, I don't know if you realize that, of our population. 50%, this particular generation. They are the most educated, they are the biggest, and they are coming into position. There's a transition of power. And we as the, I'm a millennial technically, we are as this particular generation, we are in the new, uh, new we're entering into a new phase and to really a new world because we are so creative and because we've gotten into a place of really, we don't like our reality. We don't like our existence. That's why we just jumped on trends. It is something that is becoming uh, quite a, a trend in society at large. And so, yes, we have become creative and therefore we have a lot of folks stuck in virtual reality, social media, creative all kinds of states uh, that are not real, but it's a place where they are communicating. And a lot of this is happening also in the church. There is nothing new under the sun. I want to read to you this uh, passage really quickly. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new. And as uh, it was here already long ago, 
It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations. Even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. I'm saying all of this. I want to get us into the place I think where we really are. The advances in technology, we can't deny. uh, Technology has has been speeding up in, in leaps and bounds. It's really quite unimaginable how quickly we are advancing as a society. With this particular advancement... Uh, in particular with social media, with uh, all medias, uh, um, there has been a distrust born with our leadership. With this constant access to communication and and ability to to discover things that maybe have been hidden uh, in generations past, we have unearthed quite a, a shallow character of our leadership. Across the board in politics and business, it's, 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 it's a reality. And this has led to uh, just an intrinsic distrust, in particular of the younger generations. They do not trust the elders. They do not trust really anything or any, anyone, period, especially leadership. We see this breakdown of the authority structure. Everything in a way has to be earned and proved. Now, that's the world But that is not the way God intended it for the church at all. And I want to speak to you God's way. The Bible says there is nothing new under the sun. We may come up with clever, creative new ways to to, uh, create a new reality. But there is no new reality at all. Things have just been regurgitated, recycled, repackaged. I don't know about you, but uh, when you go to the store, if you're a little older, a little clever, young people, they jump on gimmicks a little faster because we like shiny things. But older folks that have been around, my father-in-law in particular, he's a wise man. He's been to Home Depot, has been to Best Buy many a times. He knows which products not to get. Washing machines, TVs, microwaves. He knows, don't trust that brand. They might be shiny. It might be looking new and, and, and all of that, but I've read the reviews. I've read uh, uh, all of the, uh, the customer reviews, and they don't line up. They're, they're going to conk out on you in about a year or two. And that's kind of where we're at. And, um, and so I, I wanted to take you to this passage in the Bible, this incredibly powerful passage. And Lord, only help me, God, to, to uh, unpackage this in such a way that you showed me. Um, Lord, please. We are all looking... For new things, I think, I believe, because inherently inside us is a realization, an awareness that there is more than what we are living for. This is not it. This pursuit of self-gratification, of really ultimately self, everything self. This is not it. It does not satisfy. We just read the article. The the folks that are most able and most equipped with the finances to pursue the healthiest lifestyle possible are the most unhealthy. There's got to be another way. And guess what? The gospel. The gospel. The hope of the gospel is resurrection. I want to remind you that just before we go into this passage. The hope of the gospel is life from the dead. I had to do a teaching recently uh, at the one o'clock service on the fruit of the Spirit. And I just came to this immediate realization. The fruit of the Spirit isn't possible to produce all of my own. I cannot produce genuine love. I can't produce peace. I can't produce joy. I may try. I don't know if anybody succeeded. I've never succeeded. This is something only God could do. But how in the world does it work? 
And I think a lot of young folks in particular, and this is where the generational uh, uh, divides and tensions arise, the older folks have been through the cycles a little bit more. And they've learned something that we as younger folks, we feel like we're smart, we're educated, we're creative, we're talented. We should be able to do this better because we're stronger. Because we're more clever. We've seen a lot of things in YouTube. I recently heard a, a, a parent, a pastor who's a parent, it was Tim Delina, say that his son, uh, he would have expected that his son would come to him to, to learn how to tie a bow tie. But his son, uh, his son just said, no, dad, I already looked that up on YouTube. And, uh, and I mean, that is the truth. I mean, even I do it. I, you know, I've learned to fix cars on YouTube, fix all kinds of things on YouTube. But, uh, but when it comes to uh, doing things uh, with our soul, with our mental health, with our relationships, with life troubles, patterns that no self-help can break, can save us from. Things that after season, after season, after season of being stuck, sick, we realize this is going to have to take supernatural intervention. And I believe this is why folks stick around at church. They hear this hope in the gospel message, they hear there is hope for me. You may be stuck in addiction. You may be stuck in a relationship that is destructive. You may be stuck in a, in a, in a, in a broken, sick state, state of mind. You may anything that's sick about your life that is killing you. You may discover after a long enough time, there is no hope. And I want to read this story to you. If you may please turn with me to the gospel of John chapter 11. And I would have loved to read the entire passage to you, but it, it's quite long for the sake of time. I'm only given so much time. I'm just going to read the first seven verses, and I'm going to jump through all the different verses through the points that I prepared for you. I'm going to read through the New King James Version. John 11, verses 1 through 7. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him, Jesus, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Love that. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus again. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. And after this, he said to his disciples, disciples, let us go to Judea again. I love that. He says, after he heard, he stayed in the place where he was for another two days. I want to uh, start with my first point. Um, the environment of friendship sustains the impossible process of transformation. Let me repeat this again. The hope of the gospel is resurrection. Let me explain to you what resurrection means if you don't know already. It means life from the dead. It means impossible. Now, hopefully I'll get to, to share some of my own life story. I could not speak this word to you unless I've seen this resurrection work uh, life at work in my own life. And so 
Point number one, the environment of friendship sustains the impossible process of transformation. Uh, Verse three, therefore the sister sent to him saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. All through this passage, and we're going to go on and see a little bit more of this, sprinkled all throughout is this uh, concept of friendship. Now, I, I was almost hesitant to go so boldly into this idea of friendship because friendship as friendship as we know it is not really mentioned in the gospel. Although in this chapter, we see friendship all over the place. And then Pastor William, the first point that he had shared with us this morning was friendship, that God considers us his friends. I want to start with you with this idea. It says, and, and um, the man Lazarus was sick He was from the town, this is verse 2, of Bethany, the town of Martha and Mary. Let me say that again. Bethany, the town of Martha and Mary. Bethany was two miles away from Jerusalem. Jesus spent a lot of time in Jerusalem. Two miles away is roughly the distance from here to Union Square. That's not a very long distance. So as you see in this particular story, we will see, but also if you study the New Testament, you will see that Jesus spent quite a lot of time in Bethany. Why would he possibly do this? Well, it says that... Bethany was the town of Martha and Mary. Were they the only folks there? No, it was a town. But why was it called the town of Martha and Mary? Because it was known as the place where they lived. Because Jesus and his disciples, they spent a lot of time there. Now we see already in this passage, it says, Lazarus whom Jesus loved. And then it says, Mary and Martha wrote to Jesus saying, my brother is sick. And then it says Jesus loved Martha and Mary. Later on, we're going to see Jesus will say to his disciples, let's go to where our, uh, our friend Lazarus is. Our friend Lazarus. Friendship is all over this chapter. Friendship is a unique kind of relationship. I don't know how you see your relationship with God, but I hope that through this particular uh, story, this is an absolute display of the glory, of the beauty, of the power, of the miracle of the gospel, this story. And this story begins with friendship. I don't know where you are today and how you see yourself and how you see God, but I read it to you. I did not make this up. God wants to be your friend. Which brings me to Point A of under this uh, first point, Jesus frequently visits where he and his people are welcome. Jesus frequently visits where he and his people are welcome. Verse 1, now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. Verse 2, there they made him supper. This is uh, chapter 12 of John, verse 2. There in Bethany, in their house, They made Jesus supper and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Jesus frequently visits where he and his people are welcome. There is that wonderful passage scripture in the book of Revelation. It says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And he who enters, who opens to me, I will come in and dine with you. Now, we have come to see Jesus, God, Scripture, as always addressing us as a corrective form. Saying, you are wrong. You are messed up. You need to repent. You need to change your ways. And that is absolutely true. There is no resurrection life without a death. There is no other way. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Right? 
There is no resurrection without death. Are you kidding? That would be the alternate reality. Right? And today we have a lot of folks that come up with all kinds of alternate gospels because they've given up on resurrection life. He frequently visits where he and his people are welcome. Point B, sub point B. The grace of his visitations, his constant, frequent visitations, gives undeniable hope that what he speaks is possible for us. Let me say that again. The grace of his frequent visitations gives us undeniable hope that what he says is possible for us. I don't know about you, but if you hang around the church, if you read the Bible long enough, if you hang with true people of God that love Jesus, they don't have to be impressive or perfect. They just love Jesus and they've welcomed Jesus in their heart. If you're hanging out long enough, you'll hear things that will say, like they will sound like they are too good to be true. But it's the visitations of Jesus Christ, of his presence. Yes, in the, in the service. Yes, during worship. Yes, during prayer. Yes, in your darkest hour when the hope comes. I don't know about you. I suffered with tremendous depression for a long time. Severe depression. Nearly suicidal depression. I was so sick I spent a week in bed once. And my mother had to literally sit on my side and pray over me. And begin to speak words of hope into my life. I was so messed up. Nothing could have helped me foster, create, muster joy. Deliverance. But as a Christian, I didn't get over my depression immediately. Life was very hard for years. I've been a Christian for 13 years. It was about a good six, seven years until I had a real breakthrough of joy in my life. Things take time. Sometimes it takes a long time for us to die. Amen. The grace of his visitations. His presence visits us. Open the door and have him come in and dine with you. And uh, uh, sub point three. Friendships that host Jesus are a hotbed of supernatural activity. Verse 11 of chapter 11. These things Jesus said. And after that, Jesus said to them, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may awake him. Friendships in the Bible, we know friendships as oh, I, somebody I can get along with, somebody that speaks my language, somebody that does, you know, he does him good, I do me good, together we drive good, we hang good, we have a good time, we can shoot the breeze, we, you know, and that's, that's great, there's nothing wrong with that, that's wonderful, I encourage that, I, but the Bible doesn't talk about that. The Bible actually, we often see people that would never otherwise be put together. I love this. Uh, I heard a, this, a pastor say once, Jesus chose his 12 disciples and he chose Judas, who's basically like Al-Qaeda. And he chose Matthew, who's an IRS, a tax collector. And the two of them had to become friends over time. Right? And so the Bible doesn't talk about friendships where we shoot the breeze, but it talks about friendships where we build each other up, where we hold each other's hands up. Friendships that host Jesus are a hotbed of supernatural resurrection activity. You can count on it. Because together we encourage each other. We build each other up. That's why we get involved in small groups. That's why we join teams and we serve. We step out of our isolation. Of our separation. 
and we join hands with people that we might not actually be attracted to in a friendship sake, uh, uh, sense. And we see Jesus in them, and that's what attracts a Jesus in us. Amen. My point number two, God's exact timing in our lives is necessary to achieve his ultimate plan. God's exact timing in our lives is necessary to achieve his ultimate plan. His ultimate plan. Not just our plans. Not just our best wishes. Not our best hopes. Not even our best uh, prayers. Although he will absolutely bring answers and supernatural life to our greatest prayers. But our situation, our mess, our sickness, our dying experience... He will use that to glorify himself. Verse 4 of chapter 11. When Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified in it. Let me read that again. When Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, potentially unto death, and we know that he died, Jesus said, This sickness is not unto death. But for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. But he did die. Jesus said, it's not unto death, but he did die. So what is the difference? What does he mean, it's not unto death? Because Jesus is the source of life. Jesus is the life maker, the life giver. The Bible says in John chapter 1, he says, In him was life, and that life was the light of man. There is no life apart from Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 1 says that for him and through him were all things created. For him and through him were all things sustained. I think sometimes we forget as meek and mild of a savior as he might be sometimes. As gentle as he is towards us, he is a roaring lion. Praise God. God's exact timing in our lives is necessary to achieve his ultimate plan. Uh, that this would be done for the glory of God. That the Son of God may be glorified through it. Subpoint A. His timing is intended to be a morbid experience. His timing is intended to be a morbid experience. Verse 6 of chapter 11. So when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. This is how Jesus treats his friends. When Jesus, it says he loved Lazarus. He loved his sisters. Because this was not only about Lazarus. Mary and Martha, you know, I uh, just want to make this quick sub-point. Um, Mary... Martha and Lazarus, they lived together. It's very unusual in, in that culture, in that time, that these folks would be living together because uh, everybody got married. It was actually a, dis, a dishonor in a way to not be married. So either they were all elderly and had lost their spouses, that's a possibility, or they actually were young. And because of the circumstances of life, we see that, that they had an estate, a place to host and serve and give. Uh, the, most likely they were orphans that had lost their parents. And had inherited a state. And that Lazarus was the only man of the house. But uh, in, in a biblical language, uh, Martha is usually mentioned first. So most likely she was the oldest, Mary second. And Lazarus is actually says, it's, the scripture says very little of Lazarus. He's mentioned last. So very likely uh, they were younger. 
And so the experience that we, uh, um, my sub point A is his timing is intended to be a morbid experience. This was shared by all of them. They were already most likely orphaned. Let's just say that. We're not, it's not uh, explicitly seen in scripture. So they had probably already lost either spouses or parents. And they were in this place where everybody else had families, had a future. Children, uh, uh, marriages provide children. And in those times, children were their future. That's how they saw themselves. It was their hope. It was their identity. They had already lost a lot. But now they found something in Jesus. And now they reach out to Jesus because there was an experience of sickness that uh, that threaten death. I want to say this to you. As, just as we've been speaking already. If the resurrection life. If the hope of the gospel. If the whole point of all of this. Is that God wants to raise us from the dead. We are going to have to experience periods. Where we are sick and stuck. And death seems imminent. And Christ is nowhere to be found. There was quietness from Jesus. It doesn't say that he responded and wrote them, hey, you know, I'm just going to wait around here till your brother dies. I'm going to wait for you to come up with faith and I'm going to show up. It doesn't say any of that. He turns to his disciples and it said, it is for your sake. It's good that he will fall asleep so that you will believe. My sub point B, he will wait until desperation, anger, and disappointment turns to faith Jesus will wait until desperation anger disappointment turns to faith uh, verse 20 of chapter 11 and then 22 and 27 now Martha as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming because Jesus waited until he died and after four days he came now Martha as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming she went out to meet him but Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, he will give you. Verse 21. And he said to him, and she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is to come in the world. It says that Jesus waited uh, two days. And when he came, it had been four days that Lazarus was in the grave. I don't know if you've ever been in a complete bottom, state of complete bottom. Now, in this story, Jesus waited four days. But in reality, Jesus will wait as long as he has to for death to set in. In scripture, death is, is uh, the turning point towards life. You know, the Bible says uh, dawn comes after the, the, the darkest part of the night. Mid, uh, midnight, right? Or um, I lost my track, uh, track of thought. But uh, Pastor Patrick will correct me backstage afterwards. But uh, uh, light comes after the darkest uh, point of the night. And so Jesus is doing something here. And in your lives, if we're all after new life, resurrection life, that is what we're instinctively craving. That is really why we're here. We sing a lot of songs about God healing and restoring, and that is awesome. We pray for that, absolutely. But there are some things I don't want God to heal and better and improve. There are certain things I want brand new. There are certain things, I looked it up. I looked up the meaning of brand new. It says completely new. 
There's certain things like my character, for example. The Bible says, behold, all things are new. Behold, I make you a new creation in the, in the book of uh, Corinthians, right? There are certain things I don't want an improvement. I don't want some uh, perfume sprinkled on it so that it could smell a little bit better. I don't want people to be saying, oh, you've really gotten better. I don't want my wife to tell me, honey, you've come a long way. There's a long way to go. There's a long way to go still. She still says that to me. But uh, I want brand new. And so I got to hurry up here. I'm running out of time. I'm going to make uh, these next few points really quickly. The experience is really important. Because the strivings has to come to an end. There's only so much effort that we can muster with all of our youth, those of you that are young, all of your wisdom and ingenuity and experience for all of you that are older. There's only so much time that you have to exercise all that you have until you just fall flat on your face. And very often, it's really important, let me make this point very quickly, for your sake of your mental health, don't try to deny your feelings. Don't deny how you feel. Don't act like this is not happening. Let me just hide this. I got faith. No, God wants you to die. He wants it to die. He wants you to cry out and say, I am dead. I am done. There is no hope here. Only you could do this, God, because that's what God wants. He doesn't want you to get any credit because we can't handle it. He wants to take all the credit. Because that's the best thing for us and for everybody. So that others may believe. My point three. God always expects that his words are more than enough. God always expects that his words to us are more than enough. Uh, chapter 11 verse 40. Jesus said to Martha. Did I not say. I'm sorry to Mary. Did I not say to you that if you would believe. You would see the glory of God. Let me read that to you again. Jesus said, did I not say to you, Mary? Mary, when Jesus appeared, we always honor Mary of the two sisters, right? Because of that passage where Mary was at the feet of Jesus. Martha was serving. But in this particular passage, it was Martha that ran out to Jesus in faith. Mary was at home with the, uh, the comforters, the miserable comforters that had come from Jerusalem. If you read the story, you'll see that. And it was Martha that ran out to Jesus and said, Lord, if you were here, you would have healed them. If you were with me, I would have not failed. I would have not gotten rejected. I would have not gotten hurt. I would have not lost my loved one. I would have not lost my job, lost my friendship, lost hope. Lost the things that I hoped for and anticipated apart from what you want to do with your resurrection life plan. And so Martha is the one that runs out. But finally Mary comes out after Martha returns strengthened by Jesus. And this is what Jesus says to her in verse 25. And Jesus said to her again, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die... He shall live, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? God will wait. We just mentioned this a little bit earlier. He will wait as long as it takes for you to die. And after death, bitterness, anger, and then the blame game, where we start blaming people. We're really blaming God, but we blame people that are above us. 
You know, right? Because God puts legitimate authority over us, right? Uh, everywhere, at church, at home. God puts legitimate authority. But when we're angry with what happens in life, because ultimately God is the one that allows us to live, to die, right? He gives us life. We begin to blame people. So there's a period of time that we have to go through the motions of disappointment, blame. And finally, we have nowhere left to turn. Go back to his words and that faith is discovered. And that is precisely when Jesus comes, when Mary and Martha finally believed. And I want to um, I want to uh, speak really quickly here. Sub point verse B. Uh, sub point B. Revelation of Christ's truth will always bring resurrection life. Re- revelation of Christ's truth will always bring resurrection life. Jesus spoke those bold words, but Lazarus was still in the grave dead. Jesus says, did you not hear what I said? If you believe, you will see the glory of God. Bold words, but these are words of revelation, of God's heart, of God's truth, of God's reality, of God's plan. God accomplishes all of the plans that he has. Therefore, Jesus then does this in verse 38 of chapter 11. Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave. And a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, verse 39, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of, of Lazarus, was uh, um, the sister of him who was dead, said to Jesus, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead for four days. And then Jesus said to her again, did I not say to you that if you believe that you would see the glory of God? Verse 41, then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now, when he had uh, said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had been dead came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes and his face was wrapped with cloth. And Jesus said to them, loose this man. I've been through this process quite a bit. I really am now past my time. How many minutes do I have, Pastor Patrick? All right. I'm so sorry. Um, I didn't time myself very well, but this is just, I'm going to close in this. I've been through this process many times. I, um, I was stuck in an p- addiction, a, a lust addiction. Uh, I had already been a Christian for a few years, for a good few years. I was already married for a good few years. I already had children, and I actually was already doing some ministry. And this lust thing that I could not break would continue to creep up on me at the worst times. And I remember in this one moment, it was actually my birthday. And I was away on a work trip. And it was just a hard, it was a hard trip. It was a difficult time. And there was some stuff at work that it was, it was just, it was, it just kind of jabbed me. Some things were said that kind of hurt me and I was very vulnerable. And that evening, that temptation came to knock on my door again. And I resisted and I fought and I resisted and I tried and I succumbed. And I was there for a good long while, just following the rabbit on my phone, following the rabbit. And finally, I just broke down. I just broke down. The awareness of this, my state 
was so glaring to me. I was, it was so evident how dead I was and how powerless I was. It had been a few good years that I had been powerless to break this thing. And in that place, I remember such a peace of God came over me because I just said before the Lord, I, I have no strength. I have no power. I can't do this. I can't save myself. I can't deliver myself. I can't break this. I don't know. This probably resonates with quite a good few of you because of different areas of your life where you tried and you've been disappointed and you failed and you realize by now that you have no hope unless God does something. In that moment for me, God just whispered, I love you. Praise God. That was the last time. That was the last time. He has given me, I do not waver in temptation. He has given me a true supernatural life. And I just got to read these two things really quick. Life after death can never be the same. And it will never be the same. Everything is set in order. And finally, I'm going to close with this scripture. True discipleship will see the process repeat itself. Okay, I'm going to end with that. The true, true discipleship is what God calls us to. God does not call us to just set us free. He calls us to be his disciples, his people, people who do his work, people who propagate this resurrection life. And this process will repeat itself. I'm going to close with this passage, 2 Corinthians 4, 11 through 12. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power of God may be uh, of him and not of us. We are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always caring about in our body the dying of our Lord Jesus. That the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake. That the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then, death is working in us, but life in you. Praise God. Uh, as the musicians come, I would like you all to stand. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. I want you to listen just very closely. Uh, as I was preparing and praying, the Lord put, uh, he put a promise on my heart for this word. And it's been confirmed twice uh, today by one of the elders and in a different part. The Lord told me that this word would be prophetic. Now, I, I, I'm not a prophet. I don't have any power. I'm just a person, just like you are. But God takes over our lives. And what he does is resurrection power. So I'm going to speak to you from a confidence in what God said. God told me this is, would be a prophetic message to set people free. To give resurrection life where life is no longer possible for you. And you finally know that. And also, God is going to make you the vessel of his ministry. Because when he sets you free and you experience that power, that power is never for you. It's only the beginning that it's for you. From there on, it's for others to see and marvel and believe in that same Jesus and be in awe and hope and enter the process that you were in. 
You will be those vessels when he raises you from the dead. Now, if this is speaking to you and you want to, want to enter into that resurrection life where you receive and believe those words and you want to experience that resurrection, I invite you to the altar. We're going to worship and we're going to pray. God bless you. We're going to pray together. And uh, there is no formulas with God. There is you, there is God, and there is his words. So I'm going to pray for you, but you pray in response to what he spoke to you. He spoke to you. This is the gospel truth. The ability of the gospel truth is to grab your heart with such conviction that you have nowhere to turn except to God. That's what the Bible says faith is, and faith has the power to save your souls. So I'm going to pray for you, and you are going to respond, and you're going to pray to God based on that conviction that is now alive in your heart. Lord Jesus, Lord God, we just come to you, oh God. Lord, we come to the risen Christ. We come to the one that is life himself, the glorious king of all power, of all majesty, but who dwells and lives with the broken, with the humble, with the contrite, with the repentant. Lord, I pray for my dear brothers and sisters, Lord, that you carry them now, God. Lord, as they have believed, carry them to the bottom of their effort, Lord, of every striving, of every opportunity that we have in our own ability, God. every human effort and expose it, God, as fully unable to create any life. But you, Lord, with just a handful of words, will create brand new life right now. And so in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, who is the resurrection life, the eternal life, Lord, I speak your words. If you will believe you will see the glory of God. And Lord, we thank you, God. Lord, that the simplicity, Lord, and the friendship that you offer us, Lord, is sufficient. Sufficient through the process as you make us, Lord, into fishers of men. Lord, as people who are true disciples of Jesus Christ will see the miracles of God in our lives. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.